Section 66 of the Lincoln Storybook by Henry L. Williams. As Clear as Moonshine. Read for LibriVox.org. In 1858, Lincoln was committed to the political campaign, which was a passing victory, superficially, to his opponent, Senator Douglas, to eventuate in his accession to the presidency. So he had let legal strife fall into abeyance during two years. He was, therefore, vexed to have an applicant for his renewing that line of business, but at once welcomed the suitor on learning her name. It was Hannah Armstrong. He was eager to see her. She was the wife of the bully of Clary's Grove, the locally noted wrestler Jack Armstrong. After they had become friends, Lincoln had been harboured in their cottage, in the days when poverty held him down, so he scarcely could let his head above water. The good soul had repaid his doing chores about her house, such as minding the baby, getting in the firewood, and keeping the highway cows out of her cabbage patch, after her husband died, by darning his socks, filling up a bowl with corn-mush, at the period when it was a feast to have cheese, bologna, and crackers, in the garret where he pored over law-books. Her news was painful. The baby, whose cradle Lincoln had rocked, was a man now, and was in what the vernacular phrased pretty considerable of a tight fix. It looked as though Mr. Lincoln would have difficulty in loosening the fix, far more to remove it. At a camp-meeting the young men had been riotous. Armstrong and a companion had been entangled in a fight for all comers, in which one man was seriously injured by some weapon. The companion, Norris, was tried and convicted for manslaughter of Metzger, receiving the sentence of eight years' imprisonment. But Armstrong was to be indicted for murder, as the injuries were indicated as inflicted with a blunt instrument, and a witness confirmed that they were done by a slung-shot in Armstrong's hands. It was little excuse that he, like the rest implicated, was drunk at the time. Nevertheless, dissolute as was the young man of two-and-twenty, Lincoln did not need the woman's assurance that her son was incapable of murder so deliberate. Armstrong averred that any blow he struck was done with a naked fist. Furthermore, it was said that Metzger was not left insensible on the field of battle, but was going home beside a yoke of oxen when the yoke-end cracked his skull. It was this, and no slung-shot, that caused his death the following day. Recognizing that the complication forebode a strenuous task, Lincoln none the less accepted it, and assuring his old Aunt Hannah that he would not suffer her to talk of remuneration, he resumed the toga to contest the effort to take away Armstrong's life, and release Norris, as convicted under error. He closeted himself with the prisoner to hear his account, and upon that concluded he was guiltless. It has been said that Lincoln would never undertake a defense of a man he believed guilty. This held good in the present instance." As the statement about the slung-shot blow was made by a man who disputed the ox-yoke accident, and that the fatal hurts were received in the free fight at the camp-meeting, it was necessary that he should be explicit. He had seen the blow and distinguished the weapon by the light of the moon. Lincoln was accustomed from early life to relieve his brain when toiling or distressed, by the turning to a vein utterly opposed to those moods. His chief diversion from Blackstone and the statutes was his favorite author, Shakespeare. Hackett, the Falstaff, delighted in by our grandfathers, pronounced the President a better student of that dramatist than he expected to meet. As the ancients drew fates, as it is called, from Virgil, and the medievalists from the Bible, so the lawyer drew hints from his author. The process is to open at a page and read as a forecast the first line meeting the eye. The playbook opened at Midsummer Night's Dream. To refresh himself after his speeches in rehearsal, Lincoln had been enjoying the humor of the amateur actor-clowns. 
so the line leaping into sight was on parallel lines with his thought. "'Does the moon shine that night?' so the text. Whereupon Nick Bottom, a weaver, cries out, "'A calendar! Look in the almanac! Find out moonshine!' The pleader had his cue. It was not necessary to postpone the trial on the ground that the debate upon the new charge prevented a fair jury in the district. Besides, the widow would grow mad in the long suspense, even if the prisoner bore it manfully, though sorrowing for her and his misspent life. The trial was indeed the event of the year at the courthouse. The witnesses for the prosecution repeated about Armstrong much the same story as had convicted Norris. Armstrong had led a reprehensible career, and the deliberate onslaught with a weapon after the fight could hardly have been made by an intoxicated man. It was vindictiveness from being worsted by the unhappy Metzger in a fair fight. In vain was it cited that he and Metzger had been friends, and that the accuser was a personal enemy of the former. The case looked so formidable, unanswerable in short, that the state proctor's plea for condemnation might all but be taken for granted. However highly the prisoner had been elated by his father's friend, his own, having promised to deliver him before sundown, he must have lost the lift-up for he wore the abandoned expression of one forsaken by his own hopes as by his friends. Norris, in his cell, could not have been more veritably the picture of despair. Lincoln rose for the final, without eliciting any emotion from him. He dilated on the evidence, which he asserted boldly was proof of a plot against an innocent youth. He called the principal witness back to the stand, and caused him definitely to repeat that he had seen Armstrong strike the fatal stroke, with a slung-shot, undoubtedly, and by the light of the moon. The proof that his accusation was false was in the advocate's hand, the almanac, which the usher handed unto the jury, while the judge consulted one on his desk. The whole story was a fabrication to avenge a personal enmity, and the rock of the prosecution was blasted by the defense's fiery eloquence. The arbiters went out for half an hour, but the audience, waiting in breathless impatience, discounted the result. The twelve filed in to utter the alleviating, not guilty, and the liberator was able to fulfil his pledge. It was not sunset, and the prisoner was free to comfort his mother. In vain did she talk of paying a fee, and the man supported the desire by alleging his intention to work the debt out. Lincoln said in the old familiar tongue, "'Aunt Hannah, I shan't charge you a red—I said without money or price, and anything I can do for you and yours shall not cost you a cent.' Soon after, as she wrote to him of an attempt to deprive her of her land, he bade her force a case into the court, appeal to the Supreme Court, where his law firm would act, and he would fight it out. Regarding the rescued man, he enlisted in the war at the first call. He was still in the ranks two years later, when his mother, in her loneliness, begged for him of the President, Commander-in-Chief, for his release to come home. His leave was immediately written out by Lincoln's own hand, and the soldier went home from Kentucky. He remained a valuable citizen. It was Lincoln's speech and the moonbeam of inspiration that saved him. End of section 66. This recording is in the public domain.